0: Welcome back to another episode of Not Another Fucking Elf, an in-depth Lord of the Rings character guide podcast hosted by my fellow Lord of the Rings nerd, Catherine Bray. Hello. And me, Paul Ridd, also a massive fan of Lord of the Rings.
1: In each episode of this podcast, we look at a different character from Lord of the Rings, what that character's all about, how they come across in adaptations and any other tangents that tickle our fancy.
0: Plus our regular game, The Page Off. The
1: Page Off. Um, And we're called Not Another Fucking Elf. It's probably quite a bad title for a podcast but we are stuck with it now. Yes. Moving swiftly on who are we discussing today?
0: Today we're going to have a chat all about Théoden, King of Rohan, son of Thengel.
1: And before we do that your regular reminder that if you haven't listened to, read or watched Lord of the Rings in one of its many many forms this will be full of Théoden spoilers and spoilers for the Lord of the Rings more generally.
0: Shall we? We shall. We shall. Theoden is a king, the king of Rohan, lord of the Rohirrim, who are an ancient but fairly down-to-earth bunch of men in Middle-earth.
1: Yeah, they're not as lofty as the dudes from Gondor, who have a bit more of a Renaissance Florence vibe to them. The Rohirrim are a bit more like Anglo-Saxons or Vikings. It's a kind of northern European Beowulf culture, uh, as opposed to the southeastern Mediterranean, almost ancient Rome, classical Greek kind of thing you get in Minas Tirith.
0: And Théoden is the king of Rohan, but when we meet him, he's not necessarily massively in charge of things, um, to the extent that you, you sort of expect with a king. Um, he's been usurped, in effect, if not in name, by his evil counsellor, Grima Wormtongue.
1: Bad dude, very slimy, he's not seized power through force, he's insinuated or wormed his way Oof. in there, if you will.
0: And so when Gandalf and the lads show up, the first job on their to-do list is to kick out Wormtongue, get the king thinking for himself again, which doesn't prove to be that difficult for the newly rejuvenated Gandalf the White.
1: And that's despite the fact that we get a bit of business about how last time Gandalf was in Rohan, he had a bit of a contretemps with the king.
0: That's book-only stuff, isn't it? Do you want to refresh our minds?
1: Uh, Yes, so in the book, after Gandalf escapes from Saruman with the help of Gwahir the Eagle, the eagle takes Gandalf to Rohan and Gandalf is like, help me out, I need to get to the Shire, pretty sharpish. So Théoden says, all right, you can take any horse and begone, gone, Stormcrow. And he chooses the king of the horses, Shadowfax. Which feels like a bit of a faux pas, like it's, you know, it's one of those offers like, oh, take any horse you want, but he didn't mean actually take literally our best horse.
0: Yeah, yeah. Well, we can come on to that in the exclusive Shadow Facts episode, can't we? It's coming. We? It's coming. Look out for that. Um, so Gandalf, not super popular with Théoden. No. But it turns out all right. Gandalf, Théoden, and the lads team up, fight Saruman's massive orc army at Helm's Deep and then go on to Isengard to confront Saruman before heading to the war in Gondor.
1: And Theoden's whole arc there, both at Helm's Deep and the Battle of Pelinor Fields, is that he knows he's probably gonna die, but it's better to die this noble death as a king who's lived his best life and done the right thing in this epic conflict.
0: Yeah, and that's what happens. He's involved in the showdown with the Witch King of Angmar and dies a sort of super noble death.
1: And there's this big idea that he dies well, so he can now rest alongside his heroic ancestors and not feel ashamed.
0: So that's Theoden in a nutshell and diving sort of more deeply into the character as he comes across on the page um, I feel like he's one of the characters in the story that goes through the most dramatic transformation right?
1: Yeah so when we meet him he's he's defined as a proud sort of a character but at the same time he's under the thumb of Grima Wormtongue who's I don't know I mean in the book it's less presented as like a full-on evil spell that it is in the Peter Jackson version that a lot of people will be familiar with. So in the book it's much more the idea that he's gradually and by slow degrees come to rely on this guy who doesn't have his best interests at heart and that through subtle influence Wormtongue has been reminding him how old he is and kind of undermining his confidence. So it's much more of a kind of emotional abuse, if that makes sense, um, than than something overtly to do with sorcery.
0: Yeah, so is it something about him having had a sort of uh, uh, psychological impact rather than a kind of physical um, change, something that's to do with a manipulation in the court rather than something that's some kind of magical spell?
1: Yeah, exactly. I think that's quite a well-established trope in fairy tales, the idea of the evil counsellor who has got an undue amount of influence and in a way it's quite a monarchical trope. It's the idea that the will of God resides in the monarch and that other people who seek power are not to be trusted that, that this counsellor has come from nowhere and how dare he be in charge of things mm. as it plays out in the Lord of the Rings that viewpoint is absolutely correct. It's a <laughs> worm tongue is evil. But I think it's interesting in terms of the wider trope, it's this sort of age old idea of power residing as part of the natural order of things with the monarch, which is, of course, a bit dodgy, um, and a kind of a way of monarchs marketing themselves throughout history. They would give money to poets and playwrights who produced material that endorsed that viewpoint. Like Macbeth from Shakespeare is kind of that. Macbeth is this unnatural. Witchcraft influenced usurper versus like the true king appointed by god who he he murders and of course those were the stories that were funded so those are the stories that we have and Tolkien as a traditionalist is making use of that trope.
0: Yeah I mean again to go against everything that Tolkien ever said about his work writing (laughs) a story in the sort of 40s 50s about a monarch who was influenced by some sort of evil outside uh, person who forced them into um, thinking along the lines of the enemy, um, is quite resonant, right?
1: It's a bit of a Rasputin thing, really. Yeah. It's, yeah, there's a lot of that in there. So maybe it's worth having a look at an extract from the text where, to see how Tolkien described this sort of unwholesome influence. So from the book, this is where Gandalf and Aragorn and Gimli and Legolas have showed up in the Golden Hall... And they're talking for the first time to Theoden, and uh, Theoden isn't super welcoming.
0: Slowly the old man rose to his feet, leaning heavily upon a short black staff with a handle of white bone. And now the strangers saw that, bent though he was, he was still tall and must in youth have been high and proud indeed. I greet you, he said, and maybe you look for welcome, but truth to tell, your welcome is doubtful here, Master Gandalf. You have ever been a herald of woe. Troubles follow you like crows, and ever the oftener the worse. I will not deceive you. When I heard that Shadowfax had come back riderless, I rejoiced at the return of the horse, but still more at the lack of the rider. And when Eomare brought the tidings that you had gone at last to your long home, I did not mourn, but news from afar is seldom sooth. So it's like a massive fuck you to Gandalf, isn't it? Jesus. He,
1: he literally says... I was kind of pleased when i heard you died (laughs) what a shame you didn't die yes
0: yeah and he's
1: got quite a lot of agency yes he's been influenced by other people but it's it's a big speech from theoden and it really sets his stall out as maybe a guy who's going to be a bit of an antagonist like i don't think that reading it for the first time you're like well, this is the hero of the hour. <laughs>
0: yeah, yeah. So, yeah, again, coming back to that idea of an enormous transformation, right? Like, there's a completely different um, change in character once once he's sort of out of this influence from one time. Yeah,
1: it's so funny because there's a lot of writing about how Théoden is the example of the good king, whereas Denethor, who we meet later in Gondor, is an example of a kind of a bad king, or bad steward, rather, and that there's a, an oppositional pairing there. But he's not introduced like somebody who's going to be the model of nobility and exactly what a king should be. He's introduced as someone who's a bit of a problem to be solved. That said, the problem solving in Theoden's case does not take all that long, does it?
0: Yeah, no, it resolves itself quite quickly and then he's just um, fully on board with the, with the task at hand.
1: Yeah, he has lots of moments to show that he's now back on course and... Um, There's Helm's Deep, uh, there's the Fields of Pelennor, there's his bonding with Merry. He's got quite a nice relationship with both his niece and his nephew. So lots of chances for Theoden, King of Rohan, to prove his quality.
0: Mm. And he gets two massive set pieces of his own, doesn't he, really, in which to kind of completely circumvent that um, apparent sort of cowardice or uh, resistance. Like, should we talk about those two um, major kind of pieces?
1: Yeah, so Helm's Deep is obviously a huge one. It's the climactic Rohan-flavoured battle, really, because the riders of Rohan come in later to the Siege of Gondor, but that's a bigger deal with lots of different armies. This is the one that's just Rohan versus the Orcs, and it's it's that idea of like the 300 Spartans. Mm -hmm. It's that idea of a small core of dedicated people with a good leader, battling through and somehow coming out on top and triumphing. Mm
0: -hmm. And then later, obviously, there's a huge uh, opportunity for him to demonstrate a huge valour at the Pelennor Fields, right?
1: Yes, and he rides into that battle, I think, chanting death. I mean, certainly that's what he's thinking. He doesn't think he's coming back from that one. And it's the idea of dying in battle to protect your people, which is... Which is in the tradition of poetry like the Battle of Malden, a poem from the 900s, which uh, like from the eighth century, so super old describing a real historical battle that took place in Essex. Um, and what happened there is like a small number of English guys faced off against the much larger invading force of Vikings um, led by their, I don't think he's a king, but like a lord who kind of like Theoden goes into this sort of beast mode with this idea of like if this is to be our end then I would have them make such an end and that was a poem Tolkien actually wrote about, he wrote a whole essay about uh, this kind of beast mode in the Battle of Malden um, I'm, I'm actually translating it as beast mode. The actual word is, is ofa mode in Old English and scholars kind of argue about whether you should translate it as confidence or arrogance. So I'm proposing beast mode because I think that conveys kind of both of those things nicely.
0: Right, right. And then, of course, that also just sets up a nice contrast with Denethor's behaviour in that particular conflict as well, doesn't it? It sort of is this total, total difference between someone who is completely retreated and not part of... Things and someone who's right in the battlefield and taking um, great pride in this potentially um, life ending course of action.
1: Yeah, and they both die, but Theoden dies achieving this noble thing and beloved by his, his nephew and niece, and Denethor dies trying to take his son down with him at the same time. It's, it's uh, the, the same result but completely different effect. Yeah. They're both dead, so Denethor might as well have taken the heroic option, really. Yeah,
0: exactly it's interesting you mentioned this linguistic stuff I think we've got a letter haven't we where Tolkien uses Theoden's speech as an example or sort of a defence of his choice to use a kind of archaic mode of speech
1: yes so this is from a letter from 1955 that Tolkien wrote but didn't send to Hugh Brogan uh, who had criticised and described as Tushery Tolkien's style Oof. in in this chapter uh, Tushery is, is Kind of when people write a sort of bogus medieval style with lots of tush, pish, and oh, sounds, right. and marry fella, like made-up medieval stuff. And Tolkien, of course, is pretty cross about this. He writes quite a rude letter and then ends up not mailing it. But <laughs> we've got we've got the example from his drafts. Um, I'll, it's a long letter. And it's a lot of fun. Do look it up if you if you have the uh, Humphrey Carpenter collected letters because it's a it's a nice spicy one. Letter one seven one. I'm just going to read out the bit that pertains to Theoden. But take an example from the chapter that you specially singled out and called Terrible, Book Three, The King of the Golden Hall. Nay, Gandalf, said the king, you do not know your own skill in healing. It shall not be so. I myself will go to war, to fall in the front of battle, if it must be. Thus shall I sleep better. This is a fair sample, moderated or watered archaism, using only words that are still used or known to the educated. The king would really have said, "Nay, thou wast not thine own skill in healing. It shall not be so. I myself will go to war to fall, etc." I know well enough what a modern would say, and this bit really makes me laugh. It's talking, imagining Théoden speaking in modern language, circa 1955. Not at all, my dear G. You don't know your own skill as a doctor. Things aren't going to be like that. I shall go to war in person, even if I have to be one of the first casualties. <laughs>
0: <laughs> it's sassy, right?
1: Very sassy. And then what? Theoden would certainly think and probably say, thus shall I sleep better. But people who think like that just do not talk in a modern idiom. You can have... I shall lie easier in my grave or I shall sleep sounder in my grave like that rather than if I stayed at home, if you like. But there would be an insincerity of thought, a disunion of word and meaning. For a king who spoke in a modern style would not really think in such terms at all and any reference to sleeping quietly in the grave would be a deliberate archaism of expression on his part. However worded, far more bogus than the actual archaic English that I have used, like some non-Christian making a reference to some Christian belief which did not in fact move him at all.
0: (laughs) It really reminds me of um, when you used to study Shakespeare at school and you'd have those editions where you'd have a one page that was the original Shakespearean text and on the other there would be this cringe-worthy kind of translation into modern idioms um such that it just renders the whole poetry of the thing completely meaningless and and, and kind of crap but yeah um yeah so sassy it's really so ridiculous. sassy
1: and it continues in that vein for ages and i will just read like the final sentence from it um also not to be too donish learn to discriminate between the bogus and genuine antique as you would if you hoped not to be cheated by a dealer <laughs> So yeah. He t- won that
0: one, even though he never sent the letter. He really <laughs>
1: did. Um, I believe he didn't send it because they actually uh, it was someone that he got on with and that they would have later had it out in person, probably over a pint. Yeah. But yeah, it's um it's really funny how riled he gets. And rightly so, because he's put all of this time and effort into making sure that these things are worded properly. It's why it took him such a long time to write, and he's an expert in the field of linguistics. I think someone coming for him on a linguistic basis <laughs> that is actually wrong is kind of talking kryptonite you're yeah. absolutely always going to get the get the shutdown yeah. in, in the letters
0: so speaking of uh, linguistic misappropriations um, should we talk about some of the adaptations
1: Yes, and fortunately, as ever, we can't hear the work of the people who put together the 1955 BBC adaptation. That Such is a shame. Lost forever, but just out of interest and for thoroughness, who played Théoden in the 1955 BBC radio adaptation?
0: Interesting that you ask, Catherine. Um, Valentine Dial played Theoden in that version. Shouldn't Um, laugh at
1: people's names ever, really, but (laughs) Valentine Dial, that is a wonderful name.
0: Yeah, it's beautiful. I just want to hear his dulcet tones. Um, He was an English character actor, um, apparently very, very popular as a voice actor. He narrated a BBC radio series, a sort of cult show called Appointment with Fear. Um, And then in terms of his sort of film appearances, he's perhaps best known for appearing in the 1960 film The Haunting as a sinister caretaker. Um, but there's just a load of uh, sort of guest spots he had on cult radio and TV shows like Blackadder, Hitchhiker's Guide, where he played Gar Gravar and Doctor Who.
1: Philip Stone, on the other hand.
0: Yeah, no, Philip Stone in the Ralph Bakshi film. Uh, he played and in that animation. Uh, he's a British actor and his two most famous performances that I'm sure all our listeners will be familiar with are as Alex's dad in Clockwork Orange, the Kubrick film. And in The Shining, he plays Delbert Grady, obviously a iconic Kubrick character. Um,
1: Incredible performance. Always think about his, his Delbert Grady just so spooky and kind of low-key spooky. He doesn't overplay it. It's that, I corrected them. That very intonation and the
0: pauses. Yeah, no, wonderful. Beautiful. Um, Did lots of telly as well, was on Coronation Street. Possibly less iconic work here in the Ralph Bakshi Lord of the Rings film than his work in, say, A Clockwork Orange and The Shining, two of the greatest films ever made by Stanley Kubrick, one of the greatest directors ever to make films, but, you know.
1: Theoden in the Bakshi version, it's not, like, the world's biggest role or anything. They do the exorcism moment with Gandalf casting out Mm. Wormtongue and his bad influence after which Theoden becomes a pretty standard noble king. He gets quite a nice moment at Helm's Deep I think we're going to have a listen to that. So this is Philip Stone, uh, aka Double Grady from The Shining as Theoden having a noble moment at Helm's Deep
2: Theoden, king I will not end here, taken like an old badger in a trap. When dawn comes, I will bid men sound Helm's horn, and I will ride forth. Will you ride with me then, son of Arathorn? At least we may make such an end, as will be worth a song. I will ride with you.
0: So Philip Stone, originally born in Leeds, um, but doing a pretty standard kind of RP delivery of Théoden, there, kind of speechifying, and um, not not particularly distinctive, but it's it'll do.
1: It's a key mode for Théoden speechifying, isn't it? He gets Helm's Deep speeches. He gets uh, "We're off to war in Gondor" speeches. It's something you have to be able to knock out the park if you're going to play Théoden.
2: Yeah.
0: So moving on to the 1979 mind's eye radio version of lord of the rings um in that version he's played by an actor called eric bowersfield
1: tell me about eric bowersfield paul
0: i will um so bowersfield was a radio dramatist and actor we've actually sort of talked about him a bit before because as with a few of the actors in that version he doubles up on a few parts um but he's a voice actor and known for voicing Admiral Akbar and Bib Fortuna in Return of the Jedi, as well as his work as a dramatist himself.
1: Bit of fun. And from mine's Eye, I think we've talked so many times about how this is a rather silly adaptation in lots of ways. I don't think that applies so much to Thurden. He no. gets off pretty lightly. It's a fairly credible Thurden. Uh I think we've got a moment here. Just... I'm going to call it an exorcism even though it isn't really, but immediately post-Gandalf exorcism when he's coming into his own as a king again, realising he's not as old as he thought he was or he's old but there's still life in the old dog yet Mm. and he's about to embark on his part of the Lord of the Rings narrative.
2: Now, Lord, look out upon your land. Breathe the free air again. Uh, it isn't so dark here, after all. No, nor does age lie so heavily on your shoulders as some would have you think. Uh, dark have been my dreams of late, yes. but I feel as one new awakened. Ah. I would now that you had come before Gandalf, for I fear that already you have come too late, only to see the last days of my house. Not long shall stand high the hall. Fire shall devour the high seat. What's to be done?
0: Much, much. So it's kind of an older voice than we're used to hearing for Therden, right?
1: Yeah, Therden is in his 70s and I think that gives you range in terms of where you want to pitch him. Some people in their 70s are pretty lively and spry, Mm. uh, could easily pass for 50. Some people in their 70s, it's sort of closing time. (laughs)
0: Closing
1: time. (laughs) (laughs) And I think, this Theoden is up the older end of things it's i guess it's Im- immediately after the exorcism maybe he's still shaking off the effects of mm. worm tongue having been gaslighting him into thinking that he's completely over the hill but it i don't think he noticeably changes his performance across the mind's eye adaptation so it's really the idea of almost bucket list theoden out for <laughs> one one last big siege at Helm's Deep, one last big charge towards Gondor. Might as well. Might as well, <laughs> uh, nothing to lose. He's not going to be around for too many more summers or winters, whatever he does. So let's go out on a hike. Exactly.
0: Other than the uh, age difference, I guess it's more just more of the same, more uh, prestige RP King.
1: And I guess because Eric Bowersfeld is playing other characters, Maybe you get a slightly more crinkly, wrinkled old Theoden because he's trying to distinguish his yeah. work as Theoden from his work as other characters in the Mind's Eye, 1979 radio adaptation.
0: Mm. And to touch on that uh, most reviled of uh, Lord of the Rings media next, the 1980 <laughs> Rankin-Bass Return of the King.
1: It really, really came home to me when we were rewatching for this episode, what a god-awful endeavour this is yes the characterization of Theoden really brought it home for me the the animation style (laughs) like the whole thing is a nightmare that's not the fault of Don Messick I don't think the guy who voices Theoden shall we yeah
0: well I mean the thing with Don Messick is he can dry his tears because He's famous elsewhere. John
1: Messick. (laughs) (laughs) Your legacy is assured. (laughs) If
0: it was just Thereton in that film, I think that wouldn't be so great. But he's actually most famous for his work on the Hanna-Barbera cartoons, um, uh, where he originated the voices of Scooby-Doo, Bam Bam Rubble and Hoppy in The Flintstones, (laughs) Astro in The Jetsons, Muttley in Wacky Races. There's more. There's Boo Boo Bear and Ranger Smith in The Yogi Bear Show. Uh, And countless others. But yeah, a a sort of key voice actor for for your iconic cartoons of the 20th century.
1: I'd absolutely love it if we got a mutley laugh in the and performance in the Rankin-Bass. Sadly, I don't think that's the case. In in fact, he doesn't get very many lines at all. Rankin-Bass was all about compressing and streamlining the storyline at points.
0: To the point of incomprehensibility, right?
1: (laughs) Exactly. And and doesn't get very many lines. We'll, we'll have a listen to <laughs> the one thing I actually think that Rankin Bass does do quite well, or if not well, it's the only one of the filmed versions of Lord of the Rings that actually plays Thurden's death out somewhat as it happens in the book, because he gets totaled by his own horse. Basically, he snow Snowmane, his beloved steed, is spooked. By the arrival of the Witch King of Angmar, rears up and then rolls on Théoden's body, breaking his body. Which is, in a way, a little bit of an unglamorous, unheroic yeah. death, or at least it sort of sounds like it. You have to take Théoden's death. I think in in the macrocosm, he was riding to war to protect his people. It's very noble. Forget the part where he died being rolled on by his horse. <laughs> Or watch the Rankin-Bass version where that's exactly what happens. Yes. Uh, have a listen to this.
2: And in the midst of Feodem's glory, his golden shield was dimmed. The new morning was blotted from the sky, and the dark fell upon him. Fear no darkness, snowman. No snowman, no! Snowmen, no the dark force had claimed our savior lord of roa lord theoden nay oh my dear master oh the horror no my friend he is gone you can do nothing hear me hear me oh darkness i will avenge my lord
1: (laughs) and (laughs) so Casey Kasem building on his fine work as Mary there at the end absolutely dreadful performance the horror just a nightmare a full nightmare
0: I think the less said about that version the better and yet we come back to it each week
1: the the more said the better on this podcast (laughs) love to come back to the Rankin Bass Return of the King As much as possible because I do really enjoy watching those clips as nightmarish as they are. I think it's because we know that there are so many good adaptations out there. We've got the BBC 1981, we've got the Peter Jackson, we've got the beautiful Andy Serkis audiobook. We can afford for there to be this out there as a fandom it's fine it's the it's the nightmare circus mirror version of what could have been if all of the adaptations had been wrong like people would think why do you like the lord of the rings it's this (laughs) and we wouldn't have any audiovisual evidence to the contrary
0: well quite but moving on to happier paths um there is the 1981 bbc radio adaptation which we know and love Um, in which Théoden is played by an actor called Jack May. Now, Jack May is famous for um, being, at the time of his death, the fourth longest-running soap actor of all time, having appeared in The Archers, the BBC radio, for soap about um, farm life for 45 whole years.
1: Absolutely incredible. You're a bit of a fan of The Archers. As a child, as you were telling child, me.
0: Yes, I have to admit it, as a child, I would secretly listen to The Archers, uh, despite my parents being quite sort of dismissive of 15-minute daily radio shows about farm life. Um,
1: <laughs> Paul don't... was born at the age of 95.
0: <laughs> Indeed. Um, but yes, I'm afraid I don't remember Jack May's character. He played a character called Nelson in The Archers. But um, yeah, that's his most famous thing. Uh, also a massive sort of stage and screen actor, very prolific, tons of roles in TV and radio shows. Like Doctor Who and Hitchhiker's Guide. Again, Hitchhiker's Guide. Um, but yeah, that's his most famous thing, being in the Archers for 45 years.
1: Wow. So, this is a clip where Wormtongue has been exposed as a villain, but he's still trying to kind of hustle and suggest to Theatin that he ought to listen to his advice and maybe sit this war out at home in the Golden Hall. Hmm. Let's have a listen.
2: This wizard has bewitched you. And none to be left to defend the golden hall of your fathers and all your treasure? None to guard the Lord of the Mark? If this is bewitchment, it seems to me more wholesome than your whisperings. No! Not one shall be left. Not even Grima. Grima shall ride too. Have pity on one worn out in your service. Send me not from your side... I at least will stand by you when all others have gone. You have my pity. I do not send you from my side. I go myself to war with my men. I bid you come with me and prove your faith. I see. I have come too late. Others whom the death of my lord would grieve less have persuaded him.
1: I like that scene. It shows Therodon in a slightly different mode. It's, it's not king making a speech mode it's this emotionally complex moment of a guy who at least started out genuinely as his counselor and his friend and then became corrupted along the way and theoden is pretty fair i think he doesn't say look execute you you traitor Hmm. um or you know immediately cast you out he's giving him options he's saying come and fight for your people and ride with me to war He's, I suppose in a way maybe he feels forgiving because up until that point he and Wormtongue have both been making the same kinds of errors in his view. And there's probably part of him that clings to that idea of Wormtongue as having been sure he's wrong, but maybe it was like a strategy error rather than this deliberate in cahoots with Saruman business, because it's, I think it's, it's much more forgivable from Théoden's point of view in the book and in the BBC version um it's not like dark witchcraft Wormtongue is putting a logical case that actually being in an open war is not necessarily the ideal thing for the country and yeah there's probably a case for that it's wrong but yeah it's, it's sort of putting a different side of it I think
0: yeah it just sort of adds to the cerebral more psychological impact of that kind of arc um, and I have to say, it's a it's a lovely rendition from Jack May there. It's a beautiful voice and he really captures the kind of um, pride but also the sort of um, uh, sympathy of yeah. the character. Yeah,
1: straight up good guy Theoden yeah. there. And in contrast to a lovely, silky, villainous Wormtongue. Yeah. 1990 rolls around. Rob Inglis, the audiobook. The Lord of the Rings read out in its entirety by... A man from Australia, but who lived here in the UK for most of his life.
0: He does seem to really relish the sing songs in the narration, doesn't he? Yeah.
1: So we've got a stanza or so of Rob Inglis singing a song about Rohan, the Rohirrim, and Théoden. Because we get the sense that Rob Inglis really liked doing the songs in Lord of the Rings. And that's where some of his most uh, engaging work lies. So here's a bit of Rob Inglis having a sing song. Take it away.
2: From dark down harrow in the dim morning with thane and captain rode son to edras he came the ancient halls of the mark wardens mist and shrouded golden timbers were in gloom mantled farewell he bade to his free people hearth and high seat and the hallowed places where long he had feasted ere the light had faded forthrode the king fear behind him fate before him fealty kept he oaths he had taken all fulfilled them forthrode theoden
1: so that was Rob Inglis having a little sing-song about Rowan and the Rohirrim. Uh, a lovely little tribute to Bedan, son of Thengel.
0: Again, we touch on this every week. There's a sort of uh, hearthside, um, reading the story to your children, kind of quality to Rob's narration. Um, and as with most of the characters, there's a standard voice that he does.
1: <laughs> Let's have a listen to a bit of that. I can't believe how exciting you've made it sound. <laughs> People will be really gather pumped, round, children. Really pumped for this rendition of Théoden by Rob Inglis. A little sequence of him and Mary talking before they ride off to war. Théoden saying, "You're not coming."
2: The king turned to Mary. "I am going to war, Master Mary Ardok, he said. "In a little while, I shall take the road. I release you from my service, but not from my friendship." "'You shall abide here, and, if you will, you shall serve the Lady Eowyn, who will govern the folk in my stead.' "'But—but, Lord,' Mary stammered, "'I offered you my sword. I don't want to be parted from you like this, Théoden King, and as all my friends have gone to the battle, I should be ashamed to stay behind.' "'But we ride on horses tall and swift,' said Théoden, "'and great though your heart be, you cannot ride on such beasts.' "'Then tie me on to the back of one, or let me hang on a stirrup or something,' said Merry. "'It's a long way to run, but run I shall, if I cannot ride, "'even if I wear my feet off and arrive weeks too late.' Theodon smiled. "'Rather than that I would bear you with me on Snowmane,' he said. "'But at the least you shall ride with me to Edoras, and look on Meadowselt, "'for that way I shall go. "'So far Stibber can bear you.' The great race will not begin till we reach the plains.
0: It's a funny one because I often feel with Rob Inglis it sounds as though he's narrating this having just walked up a very steep hill.
1: (laughs) Maybe he had.
0: Slightly out of breath.
1: Maybe the recording studio was on a cliff or something. Possibly. Banter. (laughs) (laughs) Moving on. The big lad. Bernard Hill. Bernard Hill.
0: I mean, where to begin? Again, every time we do this, it feels like we come to the B- Jackson films, and there's so many sort of iconic uh, roles, and there's so many actors who take roles in these films where it becomes their defining role in a way. Mm. Um, it's not—it's not like uh, you know one of the younger actors who appear in this film, and then that's the thing that sort of defines them. He was an already a established character actor by the point that he played in Bernard Hill. Um, but yeah, it's just a fantastic performance. He he had been a sort of um, quite renowned TV actor in the 80s, having been in the uh, TV show Boys from the Black Stuff, um, continuing TV roles over, over the next few decades, including more recently, he had a very significant role in the TV show Wolf Hall. Um, Before Lord of the Rings, he might be best known to an international audience as the captain of the Titanic. But then, in in terms of this performance, there's just so much going on, isn't there? There's such a a range of emotions that he expresses, and he's such a um, powerful actor. He brings a lot of dramatic heft to some scenes which could play out as quite um, tedious kind of exposition, right?
1: The thing I like about Bernard Hill is he's clearly willing to be unpopular as a character, he plays a lot of stuff where he's not supposed to be necessarily particularly charming or likeable, but for dramatic tension reasons he's often arguing against Aragorn and Aragorn's the hero who we like and he's lovely and sexy and good in a fight, so Bernard Hill is often having to play against that and be this slightly contrarian, oddly often I think a pessimist at times when Aragorn is more optimistic and Aragorn might be saying like we need to get the dwarves and the elves on board. You've got friends. Reach out. Optimism. Optimism. And then Bernard Hill will have to play the no, I don't have friends like this. You know, grump, 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 grump. And then at other times, he he'll be portraying the positive side at a moment when Aragorn's like, we don't have enough people. It's it's they they're quite an oppositional pair in the the Helm's Deep stuff. Mm. And because Aragorn is our hero that we follow across the arc of the three films, I think that puts Bernard Hill in a space where he has to not mind seeming like a bit of a dick sometimes.
0: Yeah, he also has to sell a series of quite changeable wigs. (laughs) And remain convincing. Of course, They all have to do
1: that. I can't get over when you were asking me whether the Hobbits were wearing wigs one time (laughs) when we were watching this.
0: Yeah, (laughs) I can't do that, my naivety, you know, the magic of cinema. But seriously, the the tone and hue and shade of the wigs that... that, uh, but he wears, does vary slightly, particularly in Return of the King, I feel.
1: Yeah, yeah. Um, not to criticise the wig work, because I think in general the wig oh, work on PJ's trilogy is, is pretty great. But uh, yeah, he also has to cope, of course, with becoming a bit of a, a meme. Not to the same extent as Boromir, but I've seen a lot of those... You know, where was Gondor thoughts and prayers memes? Um, Is this it during Helm's Deep? That gets repurposed a lot in macros. Yeah,
0: and for me, it's who am I gambling? Which is a constant (laughs) (laughs) scene I often return to.
1: And we mentioned just now, this is one of those iconic scenes. But I also think if you look at it outside of the kind of lol meme context, it's also a really great performance by Bernard Hill in this moment.
2: They will break upon this fortress like water on rock. Saruman's hordes will pillage and burn. We've seen it before. Crops can be re-sown. Homes rebuilt. Within these walls, we will outlast them. They do not come to destroy Rohan's crops or villages. They come to destroy his people. Down to the last child. What would you have me do? Look at my men. Their courage hangs by a thread. If this is to be our end, then I would have them make such an end as to be worthy of remembrance. Send out riders, my lord. You must call for aid. Where was Gondor when the Westfall fell? Where was Gondor when our enemies closed in around us? Where was Gondor? No, my Lord Aragorn. We are alone.
0: He's really bringing a kind of Shakespearean grandeur to this stuff, isn't he? Like he. It just. It really just jumps off the screen.
1: People like McKellen, Bernard Hill, uh, Brad DeReef, Mm. Christopher Lee, they really stacked their cast with people who've got the chops, as well as the younger, fresh out of Rada, Orlando Mm. Bloom type people. Mm -hmm. And that's lucky, because when we look at the death scene that they lumber Bernard Hill with, it's really striking to me how it practically alternates... A line that's been made up for the screen adaptation with a line that's from the text. And normally they're quite good at weaving those in and you, you don't necessarily kind of constantly clock a book line versus a Hollywood line. But I think it's really striking in this death scene that we're about to look at. Have a listen, see what you think, see if you can hear yeah. the Hollywood versus the Tolkien. I think it is striking, particularly perhaps when you could only hear the audio and, and you don't have the benefit of like Bernard Hill's lovely uh, visual facial expressions.
2: to let me go. I go to my father's, in whose mighty company I shall not now feel ashamed.
1: Yeah so no I am going to save you. You already did. What is that? What does that mean? (laughs) We kind of know what it means in Hollywood terms but it's just not very Tolkien is it?
0: No and also just the the sort of discovery of Erwin in the thick of battle in disguise. Um, I'm not sure if sort of, even if he's in the last moments of his life, I'm not sure that it really chimes with the character to be suddenly so chill and so "you <laughs> saved me" about this grand deception.
1: <laughs> yeah, and then he gets the really nice stuff about "I go to my father's in whose mighty company I shall not now be ashamed." Does that sound like Tolkien? It should, because it 100% is. <laughs> but in the book, it's actually said to Merry. He actually doesn't find out that Eowyn of disobeyed him and came to the battle. Uh, Mary also disobeying him. And I think maybe it's a nice moment to step back to the book. We try not to do too much of book film comparison stuff because I think there's plenty of material out there where people do a lot of that mm. and better than we could ever hope to do. So it's not something I want to overly focus on. But I do love this death speech from Théoden in the books. So maybe would you mind, Paul Ridge reading a little death speech for us?
0: Then Merry stooped and lifted his hand to kiss it. And lo, Théoden opened his eyes and they were clear. And he spoke in a quiet voice, though laboured. Farewell, Master Holbitler, he said. My body is broken. I go to my father's and even in their mighty company I shall not now be ashamed. I felled the black serpent, a grim morn and a glad day and a golden sunset. Mary could not speak but wept anew. Forgive me, Lord, he said at last, if I broke your command and yet have done no more in your service than to weep at our parting. The old king smiled. Grieve not, it is forgiven. Great heart will not be denied. Live now in blessedness, and when you sit in peace with your pipe, think of me. For never now shall I sit with you in Meduseld, as I promised, or listen to your herb lore. He closed his eyes, and Mary bowed beside him. Presently he spoke again. Where is Eomer? For my eyes darken, and I would see him ere I go. He must be king after me, and I would send word to Eowyn. She, she would not have me leave her, and now I shall not see her again, dearer than daughter. Lord, Lord, began Mary brokenly. She is... But at that moment there was a great clamour and all about them horns and trumpets were blowing. Merry looked round. He had forgotten the war and all the world beside. And many hours it seemed since the king rode to his fall. Though in truth it was only a little while. But now he saw that they were in danger of being caught in the very midst of the great battle that would soon be joined. It's interesting isn't it the way that this touches on something that is often a problem when you're staging death scenes in battlefield. Um, sequences in whatever film you're talking about Um, because so often you want to break up the action to have a big emotional moment and then the battle has to sort of stop but Tolkien kind of rushing back into the battle is is really sort of sincere and effective isn't it rather than those scenes where you have these kind of rather unrealistic death speeches happening while battle just seems to have paused. (laughs)
1: And yet it does often feel kind of wrong if you... There's one in Serenity where a character gets shot, killed, major character, and their partner, who is fighting alongside them, doesn't stop because there's a battle on. And the fans were like, what? What? Doesn't she care? And it's like, no, she's in the middle of a battle. She can't stop and say goodbye because she'll she'll die as well. Yeah, yeah. I think there's a bit more literary license on the page for that kind of moment. Mm. Uh, It does look funny sometimes in a film when you know the surrounding battle noises dim down and there's a kind of magic protective circle around the people engaging in the death scene but I feel like we're on the verge of trespassing into the area of movie bugbears. Yes yes
0: well to put it back into a kind of literary context I remember my dad used to talk about Homeric epic and the way that oftentimes you'll have moments in the Iliad where there's a huge battle scene happening and lots of different conflicts happening all around, lots of different skirmishes and overall effects, but then a character will suddenly face off against their arch enemy and you sort of just pause everything and allow Mm. that to play out. Then there'll be a death scene that plays out um, that just allows for all of the battle to just stop so that we can linger on, you know, whoever it is that's just died, Hector, whatever. Um... So yeah, it's it's a tradition that goes right back to the beginning of literature, um, and one which I guess is just difficult to resolve in such a visual kinetic medium as film, or or, or things which rely on the continuation of temporal um, space.
1: Yeah, there's that the pretense of the objective camera. Yeah. That ought to be capturing everything as it happens, whereas literature is, I think, able to be a little bit more. Here we are in this subjective space. Mm. And speaking of literary contexts
0: the many many voices of uh Andy Circus in his narration of Lord of the Rings released a couple of years ago um Harper
1: Collins audiobook beautifully produced much much nicer listen than this podcast like yeah. honestly the producer turn
0: this off and put on the Andy Circus audiobook
1: do it now Andy Circus audiobook go get it uh much better than listening to us just bang on about how great it is or stick around for this little sample because Mm. we've got a really nice bit of circus theoden
0: so this is uh theoden prepping his troops to ride into certain death it's all very henry v um it's all very braveheart uh, so have a listen to andy circus um delivering his
1: speech just before battle we few we happy few
2: Tall and proud he seemed again, and rising in his stirrups, he cried in a loud voice, more clear than any there had ever heard a mortal man achieve before. Arise! Arise! Riders of Theoden! deeds awake! Fire and slaughter! Spear shall be shaken! SHIELD be splintered A sword day a red day ere the sun rises right now right now Right to Gondor With that he seized a great horn from Guslaf his banner bearer and blew such a blast upon it that it burst asunder and straight away all the horns in the host were lifted up in music and the blowing of the horns of rohan in that hour was like a storm upon the plain and a thunder in the
0: mountains lovely gravelly extra tone to circus's voice i really fear for him listening to this just what he's doing to his different vocal chords <laughs> <laughs> um,
1: you don't think it's like like an acrobat uses every muscle in their body and the muscles actually get stronger you feel like it's like he's using every possible vocal cord and he's gonna as a result <laughs> fuck his voice up maybe i don't know yeah. how voices work it's a it's it's from one perspective it's really lovely it's a very mm-hmm. noble the king saying like we're we gonna do the right thing go into battle on the other hand he is old he yeah. will die anyway all of those people that he's leading into battle, that's not necessarily true for them. There must nah. be one or two of the and thinking, well, this is great for you. You get the heroic death, old man, while I get prematurely smacked in the head by a giant elephant at the age of 33 or something.
0: But perhaps we're bringing our second half of the 20th century um, pacifist leanings towards what could be just a traditional, very gung-ho... Um,
1: subjection has no place in the Lord of the Rings. Yeah, I don't know. It doesn't, does no, it? It's the people who want to stay at home and will eventually get taken over by Mordor. It's, yeah. I'm, Tolkien would obviously deny that that's got anything to do with World War One or II, Um, but yeah, I think it's sort of in there, isn't it? That idea that you have to go and um, do what is necessary. I mean, he's not big on the idea that war is glorious in its own right, but it's that idea of, that he expresses through Faramir, the character that he said was closer to himself than any other character. I love the sword, not for its brightness, but for that which it protects. Yeah. Obviously, we've touched on Theoden as a kind of monarch, the good king, that sort of stuff. I think there's also really an interesting thing about the character on a more personal level that is around grief and the way that he intersects with death because as we've heard in the clips he's someone who passes away in the course of the narrative Um, he's also someone who as we meet him has just lost his son so he's a parent grieving their child
0: yeah so that adds an extra level of kind of emotional complexity to a character who could just be a stand-in for a certain ideal of um kind of monarchical Uh, responsibility right?
1: Yeah and Tolkien doesn't give it that much page time in the book this idea that he's mourning Theodred but I think it is in there and Peter Jackson includes the really nice scene where he first of all realises fully that his son is dead because in that version of events he's been so under the influence of Saruman and Wormtongue that he hasn't really processed that that's what happens. So we get a funeral with Eowyn singing, and Théoden says, "You know, no parent should have to bury their child." Which I do think is just genuinely quite moving, and it's it's like you know, yes, he's a king, but he's also a man.
0: Yeah, and it gives a kind of human sentiment to things that might feel quite Hollywood, but with Bernard Hill delivering those lines, it's a, it's a it's a moving moment.
1: Yeah, and I don't think it makes it into any of the other screen adaptations. I mean, obviously you're not going to get like that. You're not going to get that in the Rankin Bass or in the Bakshi the uh, simplified cartoonish versions mm-hmm. of the narrative. But I like that Peter Jackson included it because it's an easy cut actually. It doesn't change much about the plot that Théodred has died. Mm. Um so you could lift it out and it's not in the theatricals obviously, but um to include it in the extended feels like a uh, an example of extended material that is rounding out the depths of a character rather than extended material that's there as a fan service moment to include a detail that we'd otherwise lose.
0: It also adds another level of mirroring with Denethor as well right in terms of Denethor's arc and having a completely different approach to the idea of uh, filial death.
1: (laughs) Yeah that's true Denethor causes or tries to cause his son's death in his madness.
0: Yeah. And then ultimately, I suppose, there's also the idea that kind of uh, relates to an ideal of, of monarchical tradition where you have a character like Theoden who is sort of preoccupied with legacy as well.
1: For sure. He's really worried about the uh, this idea that he's a lesser son of greater kings. And then you add to that the death of his son. It's really this idea that not only have you lost that person, but very, you know, what's it all been for then? Mm-hmm. Um, so I think that's also why Ferdinand comes onto this idea of my death must matter. He knows he's going to die at some point. He's not going to die knowing that his son is going to live on and continue his line and... Live a long, happy life as king. That's gone, so he has to make his own death matter. And he has these pseudo children in his niece and nephew, Aemma and Eowyn So he it, it, and he says like Aemma will be king. So in a sense, he does have that that legacy. But I think it's more important that he goes on and has this heroic death himself. I just find it very poignant in that death scene that he has that he has resolved those anxieties. Um, about being worthy of the people who've gone before him, that idea of being able to lie alongside your ancestors and not now be ashamed. I think that's quite poignant, particularly in the context of this idea of uh, ang- Anglo-Saxon literature. Um, that's quite important because it's a secular tradition, so there's no idea of you'll be watching on from heaven or anything like that. It's like, that's it, you've checked out, you're done. Um, so what matters is how you have changed the world while you were there. Mm-hmm. Kind of a downer ending.
0: Yeah a bit of a downer ending um, but to cheer things up a little bit.
1: You know what time it is.
0: I know what time it is.
1: Time for the page off.
0: Yes this is our competitive game that you can also play at home with any edition of Lord of the Rings and any online Lord of the Rings quote generator
1: or you could get like a person to who isn't involved in the competitive game to choose the quote from the book that's another way of doing it we're
0: assuming you have quite a large pool of people that are all listening to the podcast together and who've come together around the wireless to it- play the game
1: I assume people gather together in large groups to listen to this podcast.
0: But if you don't have access to a person to generate the quote, you could use uh, the one we're using, the online generator that we're using from happycow.com.
1: It's a very easy game to score. You score points based on how far from the page in question you actually land and the aim is to score as few points as possible. So if you're 10 pages off, you score 10 points. If you're 50 pages off, you score 50 points and you're trying to score as few points as possible.
0: And should we go over our scores... Um, as they currently sit.
1: I'd absolutely love to, Paul. Where are our scores currently sitting? Remind me.
0: To remind you, Catherine, you are currently on 216 and I am on 351.
1: And, and the aim is to score is, is, what, is as few points as possible? It's as few
0: points as possible, Catherine. <laughs>
1: <laughs> oh, I'm being a dickhead. Okay, um, let's fire up the quote generator.
0: Let's do it. Oh my fucking word! Not as certain as being left behind, said Sam. Not as certain as being left behind, said Sam. What what would be the thing that was being compared? The thing that is certain?
1: So this is... Sam is talking about death. So Frodo says it would be the death of you to come with me, Sam. And Sam says not as certain as being left behind. It's something like that. That's the conversation.
0: Yeah? Yeah. So another early doors fellowship?
1: Or is it... I'm pulling faces at Paul trying to put him off. Uh, Maybe I should go first?
0: Yeah, you go first.
1: So I think is where this is after Boromir has tried to take the ring from Frodo and Frodo is trying to escape on his own and Sam comes after him.
0: Right.
1: Which means it's... The end of Fellowship, but the very end. Like Yeah. T- towers opens with the departure of Boromir, but Frodo and Sam have already gone by that point.
0: Yeah. So it's a literally around the 400 mark.
1: I think possibly like a 390 type of guess, but I'm not sure. Oof. I'm gonna go 390.
0: I'm gonna go 400.
1: He loves a flat I number. I love a flat number. <laughs> Another you know me
0: too well. I do love a flat number with lots like of zeros. Classic F- flat number for
1: Paul. <laughs> Alright, I'm gonna have a look. I'm gonna first I'm gonna look at If up you this. get
0: this bang on, do you get a special prize? I hope
1: so. What I you think got you should,
0: me? I don't know. I'll think about it. <laughs> no. You might get it bang on. That would be got? amazing.
1: It, we're right in the join <laughs> between <laughs> Towers and uh fellowships. So four hundred is actually just says <laughs> book three. <laughs> And then, what did I say? 390. 390. I think you've got it bang
0: on. I've got uh, it, won't be, it
1: won't be bang on. That would be too p- pleasing. It. Yeah, shit. Okay, so 390 is Boromir coming for Frodo. Um, right. Oh, such a good scene. Sorry, I've just started reading it now. <laughs> <laughs> it's all the miserable tricks to let me get my, my hands on <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. All right, so it'll be a little bit later. Yeah. yeah okay so it's three nine seven so you've actually whoa you've actually won the points points, but yes it would be the death of you to come with me sam said frodo and i could not have borne that not as certain as being left behind said sam oh they're so pure those guys well
0: i'm just very very grateful that at your prompting i will admit i did not plumb for something in the early 60s
1: (laughs) Yeah, I could have really sold you up the river, yeah, yeah, yeah. Paul is it? Oh, yeah. it's 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 Sam, scouring of the shire, it's Sam's the end, it's early. the end. <laughs>
2: yeah.
1: Okay, so I have scored seven and Paul has scored three, an incredibly uh good round for both of us. That puts me on So I'm on two, two, three.
0: And I am on three five four.
1: Three five four. Good a uh, good round for Paul.
0: Well, I've stabilised slightly, rather than (laughs) than collapsing into a pit of doom.
1: Yeah, he's not uh, fallen with the Balrog into the pits of Moria, he's he's clung on.
0: I've just stuck it out. Thank you for listening to not another fucking elf a lord of the rings character guide podcast by me paul ridd
1: and me catherine bray we are a self-produced podcast please follow us at not another elf on all good social media platforms let us know what you think and it would be great if you could give us not one not three not seven but five stars for mortal podcasts on your podcast app
0: thanks to tommaso elietti for handling the digital wizardry and to the ing for our music and charlie shackleton for our lovely cover art
1: All clips are copyright their respective copyright holders and we strongly urge you to go out and buy the 1978 Ralph Bakshi Lord of the Rings, 1979 Mind's Eye radio adaptation, 1980 Rankin-Bass Return of the King, 1981 BBC Radio Lord of the Rings, 2001 New Line Peter Jackson Lord of the Rings and the 1990 Rob Inglis and 2020 Andy Serkis Lord of the Rings audiobooks both from HarperCollins.
0: And buy the book so many nice editions of the book out there. We also recommend the Humphrey Carpenter biography as a starting point if you're curious about the life of the man himself and the collected letters also collated by Humphrey Carpenter with Christopher Tolkien. Make sure you subscribe so you don't miss next week when we're looking at a big fan of smoking. That's your clue for next week. Next week's character is a big fan of smoking.
1: This has been Catherine Bray and I'm Paul Ridd. And that's it for now. That's the end of the podcast. Yet I hope that ere long you will return to my land.